Timothy Putnam, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week we gather right here to explore the foundations of our faith, to look at the implications of our faith on our daily lives, so that together we can prepare to live outside the walls. Can you believe it? Here we are on our 52nd episode. That's right, a once a week show, 52 episodes. We are officially a year old. This is a one year old show. We started last year, November 17th, just right before Thanksgiving. And here we are again. This time of the year has rolled back around and uh, we've come a long way. We've gone from one little station out on Broken Arrow at the behest of some friends of mine. And now we're on 10 stations and a smartphone app. So you can find us all across the state of Oklahoma, of course. You can find us in uh, a great portion of the state of Kentucky. You can find us online on podcast, and you can find us on the Breadbox Media app. If you don't have Catholic Radio in your area and you're not listening to me on the Breadbox Media app, you need to know about it. Go to breadboxmedia.com and find out how you can keep a radio station in your pocket at all times. Great Catholic content. Uh, everyone from Mark Shea, Mary Graham. Uh, my guest today is one of my fellow show hosts on Breadbox Media, Sonia Corbett. Uh, she's the author of the book Unleashed, which talks about the, the power of the Holy Spirit in the midst of our suffering. Uh, she's in the middle of writing a second book on spiritual warfare. So we'll talk about that later in the show. And if you're a very keen listener, you're like, wait a second. Last week, he told us it was going to be Marlon Delatora, who's the author of Screwtape Teaches the Faith, a book for catechists and the, the person behind the blog, knowingisdoing.com. And if you're a sharp listener, you would be right. But we had a couple of scheduling conflicts, so he's going to be with me next week. Today, we've got Sonia Corbett, and she's going to be talking with us about the very hot topic, pun intended, and I will use this joke again, the very hot topic of purgatory. Yeah, we're going to talk about purgatory. We're actually going there. Uh, well, I mean, not only probably with these kind of jokes will I actually go to purgatory. Yeah, we're going there too. But no, we're going and we're going to address the topic of purgatory uh, with my guest today later in the show. As always, let's go ahead and start today off in prayer, because gosh, don't you know I need it, uh, in prayer, in readings from the scripture, and a reading from church history. So let's begin. We acknowledge Christ the Lord, through whom we hope that our lowly bodies will be made like his in glory. And we say, Lord, you are our life and resurrection. Christ, Son of the living God, who raised up Lazarus, your friend from the dead, raise up to life and glory the dead whom you have redeemed by your precious blood. Christ, consoler of those who mourn, you dried the tears of the family of Lazarus, of the widow's son, of the daughter of Jairus. Comfort those who mourn for the dead. Christ, Savior, destroy the reign of sin in our earthly bodies, so that just as through sin we deserve punishment, so through you we may gain eternal life. Christ, Redeemer, look on those who have no hope because they do not know you. May they receive faith in the resurrection and in the life of the world to come. You revealed yourself to the blind man who begged for the light of his eyes. Show your face to the dead who are still deprived of your light. When at last our earthly home is dissolved, give us a home not of earthly making, but built of eternity in heaven. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. O God, glory of the faithful and life of the just, by the death and resurrection of whose Son we have been redeemed, look mercifully on your departed servants, that just as they professed the mystery of our resurrection, so they may merit to receive the joys of eternal happiness. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Today's first reading is going to come from the book of Wisdom, chapter 18. When peaceful stillness compassed everything, and the night in its swift course was half spent, your all-powerful word from heaven's royal throne bounded, a fierce warrior into the doomed land, bearing the sharp sword of your inexorable decree. And as he alighted, he filled every place with death. He still reached to heaven while he stood upon the earth. For all creation, in its several kinds, was being made over anew, serving its natural laws that your children might be preserved unharmed. The cloud o'ershadowed their camp, and out of what had before been water, dry land was seen emerging. Out of the Red Sea, an unimpeded road, and a grassy plain out of what had been the mighty flood. Over this crossed the whole nation, sheltered by your hand. After they beheld stupendous wonders, for they had ranged about like horses, and bounded about like lambs, praising you, O Lord, their Deliverer. That reading again comes from the Book of Wisdom, chapter 18. Today's responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 105. Remember the marvels the Lord has done. Sing to Him, sing His praise, proclaim all His wondrous deeds, glory in His holy name. Rejoice, O hearts that seek the Lord. Remember the marvels the Lord has done. Then he struck every firstborn throughout their land, the firstfruits of all their manhood, and he led them forth laden with silver and gold, with not a weakling among their tribes. Remember the marvels the Lord has done, for he remembered his holy word to his servant Abraham, and he led forth his people with joy, with shouts of joy, his chosen ones. Remember the marvels the Lord has done. Today's gospel comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Jesus told his disciples a parable about the necessity for them to pray always without becoming weary. He said, There was a judge in a certain town who neither feared God nor respected any human being. And a widow in that town used to come to him and say, Render a just decision for me against my adversary. For a long time, the judge was unwilling. But eventually he thought, while it is true that I neither fear God nor respect any human being, because this widow keeps bothering me, I shall deliver a just decision for her, lest she finally come and strike me. The Lord said, pay attention to what the dishonest judge says. 
Will not God then secure the rights of his chosen ones, who call out to him day and night? Will he be slow to answer them? I tell you, he will see to it that justice is done for them speedily. But when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That gospel comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. Today's reading from church history comes from a homily written in the second century. Let us be sure that when the day of judgment comes, our place will be among those who give thanks to God and have served Him, and not with the ungodly who face condemnation. As for myself, I am only a sinner, not yet beyond the reach of temptation. But even amidst all the devil's machinations, I still strive to make progress and hope to attain at least some virtue, for I fear the judgment that awaits me. My brothers and sisters, you have heard the word of God, who is the very fountainhead of truth. Therefore, I now read you an appeal to heed what is written, and thereby save both yourselves and your reader. The reward I ask is that you repent with your whole heart to save yourselves and find life. If we do this, we shall set an example for all young people for whom the glory and goodness of God is a challenge to be generous in His service. Let me say also that when we are given a warning and corrected for doing something wrong, we should not be so foolish as to take offense and be angry. There are times when we are unconscious of the sins we commit because our hearts are fickle, lacking in faith. Futile desires becloud our minds. We need to pull ourselves up, therefore, because our very salvation is at stake. Those who keep God's commandments will have reason to rejoice. For a short time in this world, they may have to suffer, but they will rise again, and their reward will endure forever. No one who holds God in reverence should grieve over the hardships of this present time. For a time of blessedness awaits him. He will live again in heaven in the company of all those who have gone before him. For all eternity he will rejoice, never to know sorrow again. So do not be disturbed at the sight of wicked men possessing great wealth while the servants of God suffer want. We, my brothers and sisters, must have faith. Competing as we are in the arena of the living God, we are receiving the training in this present life that will make us worthy to be crowned in the life to come. No honest man becomes rich overnight. He has to wait for the reward of his labors. If God gave virtue an immediate recompense, we should straightway find ourselves engaging in commerce instead of perfecting ourselves in his service. Although to all outward appearance we might be irreproachable, we should not be seeking God but our own advantage and bringing down on our sinful souls the divine judgment that would soon make us feel the weight of our chains. To the invisible God, the Father of truth, who sent forth the Savior, the author of immortality, and through him revealed to us the truth and the heavenly life, to him be glory throughout all ages, forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from a homily that was written in the second century. Of course, the author of that has been lost to us, but we do know when it was written. And this reading, along with many of the other readings from church history that we do, uh, is pulled from the breviary 
The breviary is the liturgy of the hours or the divine office. Uh, and we haven't talked about that in a while, but I'm going to bring that back up because it's a wonderful way to pray with the whole church. We enter into that public prayer of the church through these five sections of prayer per day. Uh, the, of course, the breviary is that prayer which all the priests and deacons and bishops and religious and consecrated lay, all of those people pray that every day. And it's something that you're invited to pray as well. Uh, now, if you don't want to go out and buy the expensive set of books, well, there are other ways to get it. You can go to divineoffice.org. There's obviously an app that would go along with that. Uh, I personally use iBreviary uh, along with my paper set. Uh, and iBreviary has a, a website that we use very often. It's also got a smartphone app on all the different applications. I encourage you to go look at that because these things that are given to the church uh, for these homilies throughout all the ages, they're so challenging to us to look at that and, and hear the echoes of Paul saying, run the race set before you, fix our eyes on Jesus, and the realization that sometimes it's hard to run the race and not get sidetracked. We want to see uh, immediate fruit. We don't want to wait for the benefit. We don't want to work hard and, and then wait. We want God to, to reward us uh, for, you know, God, I, I prayed today. I, I want to receive that reward for my prayers today. You know, just like going to the, the gym, just like having any kind of discipline, these things take time. They take time to develop. It takes time for us to gain the ear to truly hear the voice of God. And the more we work at it and the more that sometimes we inconvenience ourselves and, and maybe even sometimes suffer, the more that we come to a place where we're able to hear God more clearly, to be in communion with him more than just a visit, but an ongoing deep relationship. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how that relationship plays out in purifying us as we talk about the concept of purgatory with Sonia Corbett, author and radio show host. It's a conversation you're not going to want to miss. Join the conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls and on Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. I want to know what you think. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm Timothy Putnam, your host. we got a great show for you today. Great show for you today. We're going to be talking with a friend of mine, Sonia Corbett. She is a, a radio host as well, an author. Uh, she's got a show on Breadbox Media along with me. Sonia, when does your show air? My show airs on Saturdays at 1 o'clock. Saturdays at 1 o'clock. So just right before, uh, right before we air here. Yep, just before you. Okay, so on Breadbox Media, of course, I play on uh, Saturdays at 3 Central Time. Eastern is 4, of course, because that's the way that time zones work. And so Sonia and I met through Breadbox Media, through the, the great work that they're doing there with the radio app. If you haven't figured that out, if you haven't found it yet, you can get it on your smartphone, both on Android and iPhone. Uh, just go to the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store, download the Breadbox Media app, and there's lots of great people uh, that have 
shows on there. You've got Sonia, you've got myself. What more do you need? But if you do need more, there's Elizabeth <laughs> Scalia, Leah Labresco, uh, Mark Shea, the, 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 the great Mark Shea, and many more. Uh, so you're going to want to check out that app, something to keep around for when the, uh, the radio gets spotty. Now, um, we're talking today about one of those topics that nobody ever has any problems with, right, Sonia? That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this seems to be one of the hot topics. So we're talking about purgatory today. And <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> we're, t- we're talking about purgatory today, and, and we're bringing this up uh, because, one, we're in the month of November, and that's the month that we typically uh, focus a little bit more carefully on praying for the faithful departed. Uh, but also... Uh, my father-in-law passed away just this last week. And so as I am praying for the repose of his soul, this is something that's just very much in the forefront of my mind. Uh, and so I put a call out there to, to various folks that I know said, Hey, who wants to talk about purgatory? You know, cause everyone's always lining up to talk about purgatory. And, uh, Sonia piped up and she said that you said it's your favorite topic. It is one of my favorite topics, and it's interesting because I've had it at the forefront of my mind as well for the exact same reason. My mother-in-law died about three weeks ago, mm-hmm. and so it's the same exact sort of pull, and I've had this really, really rolling around in my head. So purgatory is not a topic that a lot of Catholics or really anybody wants to approach, uh, but it's something that when I first learned about purgatory and my cousin, I asked my cousin the questions because he was my kind of my RCIA director, my spiritual director in my journey into the Catholic church. I asked him my questions and he gave me his answers. And then it was kind of like, well, I don't really have, if it's what you say it is, I don't really have a problem with that. Uh, did you find your experience to be the same? Yes. And I also, I had a, a lot of background in the old Testament symbolism mm-hmm. of fire. And I knew God intimately as that fire. Right. And so it was a very easy jump from he he being the fire of the Old Testament, the fire of the New Testament, the all-consuming fire that the Bible talks about. There's a purgatory. I mean, it just makes perfect sense to me. And I've always actually understood God to be, well, and the, the church says that that fire is the fire of hell, the fire of purgatory, and mm-hmm. the, the beatitude of heaven so that it is God, all of it. It's just the disposition of the soul that makes it either a suffering kind or um, a judgment kind or yeah. that beatitude. That's very, very interesting. And, and it's, a, it's a thought that a lot of the Eastern fathers of the church uh, and some of the Eastern Orthodox, that, that is their perception of the purification of heaven and of hell is that it's, it's all our soul's disposition to the fire of God. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept. And uh, for me, one of the things that was helpful as I looked at this concept of purgatory was uh, I'm so stuck, and I think we in the Western world are so stuck on this concept of time, right? And we've and heard place. Mm-hmm. time and place. And we've heard, well, that's going to be, you know, that's five years in purgatory. And we've got this this picture that we've gotten from wherever, whether it be uh, actual history or whether it be history that's been, oh, don't you know they used to say that? Mm-hmm. Um, five years in purgatory, 10 years in purgatory. And, and that's this whole idea of, well, what is time after death? You know, uh, whether God wants to do that in an instantaneous way, whether whether time is even a part of the suffering. The question is, uh, 
are we going to be uh, made perfect? And this is what St. Paul was saying in Philippians 1.6 when he said, And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion mm-hmm. at the day of Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? And so we've begun that good work of sanctification. We've been justified by grace. We've begun that good work of sanctification through the grace of God, through Christ's redemptive work. And he who began the good work is faithful to bring it to completion. Whether that happens in the course of our earthly life through uh, the purification that we encounter just in daily life, the purgatory of having you know family and children and relationships, because those can definitely bring about <laughs> suffering as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, or whether it be through Christ's redemptive work in us after our death. Well, honestly, I think that part of it has to do with an improper understanding of the word salvation. Because I, I think we look at it so superficially as being the day we get to heaven. Right. And it's so much more than that because just even in the Old Testament when they talked about shalom or peace, that's where the word salvation comes from. And that, that word is a really big word that fullness of life. And so if salvation is that, and it is a process, then it, it means my whole being right. and that can't happen. I mean, that's why we're here. If, if it meant just being forgiven for our sins and going to heaven, then the moment we quote, were saved as my denomination called it by asking Jesus into our hearts, we should be in heaven and right. that doesn't happen. So we're here for a reason. And that reason is that purification, right. the sanctification. You know, and I come from a Methodist background where holiness is kind of a big deal. Uh, and the idea of continually pursuing holiness was a big deal. So when I came into the Catholic Church, that whole concept really wasn't all that uh, that big of a shift for me. In fact, oh, that's interesting. Over the over the nursery in the church that I uh, grew up in, there was a sign uh, that is one of the scriptural. Uh, scriptural points on purgatory and over the sign in the nursery. It says we may not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Oh, that's cool. Right. Of course they were talking yes. about the babies. But <laughs> <laughs> that's cute. Well, see now in my denomination, holiness was not emphasized at all. Mm-hmm. The only thing that was emphasized was the grace of salvation, that unmerited favor where Jesus draws you to himself and poof, you ask him into your heart and you're saved. Yeah, And so it's not a process, even though the, the Greek there has motion, all Greek verbs do. So right. being saved is I was saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. But nobody ever looked at it that way. It was always once you're saved, you're always saved. And there is no need. I mean, not, nobody would actually come out and say there was no need for holiness, but nobody looked at it as a prerequisite to right. heaven at all they, in any way. They would see... They would see holiness as maybe the outgrowth of salvation rather than holiness as something to strive for as part of the salvation yes, process. Yes, that's a great word, outbreak. That's exactly, that's exactly their, our denominations take. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, we're talking about purgatory. C.S. Lewis, everyone knows, is not a Catholic. Uh, he was pretty close in my mind, but everyone knows he, he's not a Catholic. And uh, at the seminary I went to, he's kind of, you know, there's there's God, there's Jesus, uh, there's the Holy Spirit, right? You've got that that trinity of perfection. And then right below that is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Right. <laughs> uh, and, but here in, in The Great Divorce, uh, he says this. He says, 
our souls demand purgatory, don't they? Would it not break the heart if God said to us, It's true, my son, that your breath smells and you drip with mud and slime, but we are charitable. And no one will upbraid you with these things, nor draw away from you. Enter into joy. Should we not reply, With submission, sir. And if there are no objections, I'd rather be cleansed first. It may hurt, you know. Even so, sir. And there's this uh, another uh, quote of, I think it comes from uh, the book, The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith by Bruce Marshall back in 1945. And he says, we, we can't just go clod hopping into heaven after uh, trouncing around in our rain boots and talking about the weather, right? There's this, this holiness of heaven that we're entering into. And, and there's a little need for preparation, right? We are our, our Sunday best, as it were. Uh, putting ourselves into a place where we can really gaze on the perfection of God. Uh, in his book, Eschatology, Death and Eternal Life, Joseph Ratzinger, who, of course, you know, later became Pope Benedict XVI, said this, Purgatory is the inwardly necessary process of transformation in which a person becomes capable of Christ, capable of God, and thus capable of the unity with the whole communion of the saints. I have never seen that quote, but I love it. That is exactly what all the saints say as well. Those who talk about purgatory specifically, whether they've um, maybe seen souls there or whatever. But I love that idea because that's exactly what our life here is about. And I'm a big, um, I'm in formation as a third order Carmelite. So John of the Cross and his writings on the dark nights, the dark night of the sense and the dark night of the soul. That's exactly what he's, he teaches as well. And it's mm-hmm. obviously the, the historical teaching of the church that the soul must be purified in order to, like Pope Benedict said, hold God right? because he is so different than what we are used to or can imagine. I mean, even John on the cross even says that there is no imagining God because there's nothing to see. And so part of that, part of that detachment of purgatory and that, that configuration, we'll call it, of purgatory is, is taking away those false ideas that we have about who God is, what he's like, what he quote unquote looks like, because there's nothing to see or sense of God at all unless he makes us feel him. Right. And so that's why faith is required. And, and all of that is so foreign to to earthly life, especially, you know, with original sin and after the fall, that's, that's the, the overhaul that's really required that and, and detaching us from the sin and the other, uh, loves that would supplant his love. Yeah. Well, there's still a lot to talk about, but we're going to take a break right now. We'll come right back to it. Of course, we're talking with Sonia Corbett, radio host and author about purgatory, about being perfectly cleansed and entering into an intimate union with God. Join our conversation over on Facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. There's a lot to talk about on this topic. I want to know what you think. Give me your questions and comments there on social media. We'll be right back after this break. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today about purgatory. Not necessarily a very, uh, some would say, fun topic. Uh, It's one that people generally like to stay away from, but we're delving in full force today. Talking with Sonia Corbett, author uh, and radio host here on Breadbox Media. And much more. So, Sonia, thank you again for taking the time to be on the show today. I know you're in the middle of writing another book, so um, I'm either a distraction or a welcome uh, break. (laughs) Absolutely welcome break. Thank you. (laughs) You're quite welcome. So what's your new book about? Tell us. Uh, It's about spiritual warfare, actually, and um, it's called Fearless. So I'm my head is down. I mean, that's all I do is type. Yeah. You you, you like those one word titles. I do. I don't. Well, I didn't actually pick the first one, but yeah, Fearless is, I do sort of like those one word titles. I don't know why. Yeah, your first book, of course, for those who don't know, was uh, Unleashed. Mm-hmm. The Ave Maria Press, is that correct? Yes, Ave Maria Press. And uh, it's on the It's the on Holy the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Yeah. And of course, uh, you talked some about it's on the Holy Spirit in the midst of our suffering, which yes. being that you're work, uh, becoming a, a third order Carmelite and have a, an affection for St. John of the Cross, all of a sudden this all is beginning to make sense to me, right? Yes, exactly. And in fact, that's that's part of my, that has really been the evolution of my understanding of the Holy Spirit is that his job, what he does here is get us ready to meet God face to face so that we don't have to have purgatory. So that if we submit to the sufferings, um, as to God here and mm-hmm. allow them to do their work of purification as St. Paul and St. Peter both say in their, their epistles, then there is no need for purgatory. I right. mean, we can be those saints who go straight from here to there and leap into the arms of God without ever even having to, to sort of do that in-between purification thing. So let's start off defining what we mean or, or what the necessity of purgatory is. This comes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Paragraphs 1030 and 1031, and it says this, All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. But after death, they undergo a purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. The church gives the name purgatory to this final purification of the elect, which is entirely different from the punishment of the damned. The church formulated her doctrine of faith on purgatory, especially at the Council of Florence and Trent. The tradition of the church, by reference to certain texts of Scripture, speaks of a cleansing fire. As for certain lesser faults, we must believe that before the final judgment, there is a purifying fire. He who is truth says that whatever utters blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will be pardoned neither in this age nor in the age to come. From this sentence, we understand that certain offenses can be forgiven in this age, but certain others in the age to come. That comes from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1030 and 1031. So we're talking about this this need for purification and the possibility that if we live our lives pursuing holiness, pursuing union with God here, that uh, that that purification is done in this life and none is needed in the world to come. Yes. And one of my favorite passages of scripture is in first Corinthians three fifteen, which talks about that process of, of that fire that, that purges us. But 
one of the coolest things is that very last sentence in that section. And it says that we will be saved, but through fire. Right. It is that fire that saves us ultimately. So, I mean, it's, it's so biblical. It's, it's talked about over and over. In fact, those, the tongues of fire, it doesn't say this, but I believe that those tongues of fire that descended at Pentecost actually did work of purification for the apostles to sort of cleanse their perception of what their ministry would be like, or, you know, their, their view of Jesus's ministry, what, what they felt that was, you know, that would explain a lot about Peter's change before and after. Yeah. And also even the, the tongues, Mm -hmm. the speaking in tongues, I mean, not the tongues of fire, but it almost seems to all go together. Right. Wow. (laughs) You know, there's a, a musician friend of mine who uh, is in the Baptist church by the name of Dennis Jernigan. And he always says, I want to live my life so that when I get to heaven, there's no real big change. Oh, wow. That's cool. And, and yeah. isn't that our, our goal as Catholics, our goal as Christians seeking to be in union with God, living in such a way here that when it comes time for us to enter into the, the fullness of communion with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's no big change. We're already doing it. Well, and I have to say that anyone in prayer who has really pursued God in prayer has those glimpses of him that face plant you where it is, it is so blissful, but at the same time, it's also terrifying in a way because you're so overwhelmed by the goodness and this, this immense eternal love. I mean, you, you get this little feeling. He gives you that little, that little feeling enough that just makes you go, Oh my word. Mm -hmm. You know, I never imagined a love or a, and uh, that the creator God who made the cosmos and the Andromeda and, you know, the constellations, all that stuff could be like this, you know, so matchlessly humble, so full of that love. And that it, it is, it's, it's overwhelming. And that's the part that purifies us, that overwhelming sense of how unworthy we are for that kind of love. So during the break, you were talking uh, a little bit about purgatory. You were talking about this, this combination of the suffering that we go through because we're, uh, we're experiencing a purification and a painful purification, but at the same time, uh, the anticipation of heaven, the excitement that goes with that kind of flush that out a little bit more for, for me and for those who are listening. Well, mostly, uh, the, the saints who talk about purgatory tell us that the reason that this purification is so painful is because our wills are not united to God's will. And we, we know that this is true because when suffering befalls us, we resist it and we struggle against it. We wish things were better and we go through this process of grief, which is, I mean, it, it, it's common to all of us. We all do this. Mm-hmm. But the pain of purgatory is the reorientation of the human will to the will of God so that whatever God sends, just like Christ, we accept it as coming from his hand and we allow it to do the painful work that it does because the work that it's doing is reorienting our will to his will. And it's the union of the wills of the, the person and God that makes us one. Mm-hmm. That's what makes the Trinity what it is. It's the wills of the three persons operating in oneness. And so that's why it's so painful for us because Nobody would pick suffering on purpose. Right. 
And yet that's, that's what's necessary. He takes that suffering that would just be painful and he turns it to our redemption. And that's what is so beautiful about all that Christ did. And so, I mean, I, I just, I find purgatory, I say this a lot and it, it freaks people, especially Catholics out, but I say this a lot because it's the, the Bible is so plain about it. Purgatory is a person. It's not a place so much. And even, you know, Benedict said that. He has this great, in the, one of his general audiences back in um, 2011, he summarized centuries of this historical teaching on purgatory, and he was talking about the mystics. And he said that rather than a place in the depths of the earth or some sort of exterior fire, which is what we imagine, those mystics saw purgatory as this inner fire, as the soul's experience and this awareness of God's love and his mercy, but also that justice that goes with it. And he said, the soul in purgatory suffers for not having responded appropriately to the perfect love it sees and experiences. This suffering is just and the simple natural consequence of habitual separation of one's will from love. It is precisely the love of God himself, which purifies the soul from the ravages of sin. So we see there again that purgatory is a place. I mean, a person and not a place. Right. And so that that figures in perfectly with even my non-denominational teaching on on God and holiness. Mm-hmm. You know, I, talking about this idea of being purified as we approach God, I, I think of if we just picture God as you know the the, the consuming fire or as the um, oh the the purification process that they go through with with gold and fine, fine metals, right? Right. They do that through heat. And so in the process of going from this solid bar with impurities to approaching closer and closer to the fire, the closer we get to the fire, the more these things just are purified out of us until such time as there's nothing left, but the pure fire. metal in the midst of the fire. Right? Mm-hmm. Fire and fire. The closer so we, the soul becomes that way. Isn't that cool? Yeah. The closer we get to the face of God, to the presence of God, the more everything that's in us that is not pure uh, is is burned up, is yes. done away and with. St. Catherine of Genoa said something really pretty about that. It's, she says, when my love for him burns as hotly and holily as his for me, the fire of his love no longer burns, but warms and radiates in and through me. I am fully conformed to his likeness. I am saved because I am one with him. Hmm. Isn't that cool? I love that. That's beautiful. Well, we're going to continue this conversation just after the break. If you have any questions about purgatory, why don't you pop on over to my social media and ask it right there. Facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handle is at outside the walls. And I bet you I can convince Sonia uh, to stick around on the social media all throughout the week to see what your questions may be and maybe shoot back an answer. I'll, of course, be watching all week long to see what you are wanting to know. Now, if you've missed any part of this show or you have someone else that you want to hear this episode, have no fear. Everything is archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. All 52 episodes, of course, we're a year in. This is our one-year anniversary. All of the episodes we've ever done can be found right there. And you can catch up, maybe catch some old ones, or share this episode with a friend of yours. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Sonia Corbett, radio show host and author about the topic of purgatory, about what it means to be perfectly cleansed, to enter into God's presence. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls. I'm your host, Timothy Putnam. We're talking today with Sonia Corbett about purgatory. Uh, it's a hot topic, no pun intended, or maybe it was intended, but you'll just have to guess, right? <laughs> and so we're talking about what it means to be made ready uh, for the God to complete the work of salvation. He who began a good work and you is faithful to bring it to completion. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit about your new book, uh, which has nothing to do with purgatory and yet has everything to do with purgatory. Your new book is called Fearless. It's still in the works, uh, so it's going to be a little bit before it hits the shelf. But it's about spiritual warfare. It's about spiritual warfare, but in in a more practical way than I think most of us Catholics view spiritual warfare. I know that most people think of spiritual warfare as exorcisms and possessions and that kind of thing. But this is more, this is a practical biblical view, which is more about combating temptation and being cleansed, which is, you know, what we're talking about today. In fact, uh, our first reading today, our reading from church history, we talked about that just a little bit. Uh, We read this from a homily out of the second century, if you recall. It says, as for myself, I am only a sinner, not yet beyond the reach of temptation. But amidst all the devil's machinations, I strive to make progress and hope to attain at least some virtue. And that's the picture you're giving us of spiritual warfare. Yes. And, you know, the Bible, the Gospels and even uh, the book of Hebrews talk about Jesus as having learned obedience by the Mm -hmm. things he suffered. Oh, man, that's I've got history with that. That's Hebrews 5, 8. And yes, there was six months of my life where every time I would come to God and I'd say, OK, I'm going to I'm going to be good. I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to spend some time trying to hear from you, God, because in, I was in the midst of difficult situations. God, what do you want me to read today? Hebrews <laughs> 5, 8. OK, wow. but that's just a single verse. God, you know, maybe I should read more. Maybe there's more context elsewhere. No, Hebrews 5, 8. He was six months. Hebrews 5, 8. I've got that one memorized. Yeah, although he a was a son. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through the things yep. that he suffered. Yeah, and that word obedience has the roots of it mean to hear. Mm-hmm. So we learn to hear God through the things that we suffer as well. I mean, he's our example. Right. And so however it went for him, it's going to go for us. And he, he said in the Gospels all the time that he doesn't do anything on his own. He watches to see where God is working and he joins him there. He does what he sees the father doing. And so in order for us to be able to do that, we have to be that pure, that and purity, especially in Matthew five, where it talks about what in the Beatitudes, where he says the pure in heart will see God, that purity actually means one, like a, a, a single focus. So our single focus is God in our suffering. Mm-hmm. And so through that, we are purified. And through that, we learn to hear God. And through that, we learn to operate the way he operates with that one will, that one focus. And that is what makes us effective Christians. And if we can't submit to that, the the difficulty of learning to hear through our suffering, then we're never going to be effective Christians. We're just going to be doing, we're going to be those Pharisees who say, hey, Lord, I cast out demons and I did all this ministry and I did this and that for you. And he's going to say, I never knew you. You never knew me. Right. You never submitted to that, that oneness of will and purpose, that suffering that makes us effective. So we've talked a little bit about what purgatory is. We've talked a little bit about uh, when 
when it's needed and some about when it's not. Uh, but the church has always taught that not everyone needs purgatory. Uh, the martyrs, yes. those who, who experience a martyrdom, in that moment of martyrdom, they completely align their wills with God. They are united with God there in that moment. Uh, those people who have lived lives detached even from venial sins as they've gotten to the place where they have devoted their lives fully to the will of God, all of that's taken care of. They've endured the, the suffering here on earth for the joy that's set before them of the resurrection. Mm, that's beautiful. Yes. That's the only way we can get through it is to look at, look toward that joy mm-hmm. that is set before us. And we don't, you know, we can't even imagine that joy really. That's why it's so important, you know, as we, as we pray to let God give us those glimpses of that beatitude so that just like, you know, the transfiguration for Peter and James and John or those other miracles that he performed that kept them going. You know, when you see a glimpse of him, you're willing, that's the joy set before you, you know, that's what's waiting. And so you're willing to, to endure that the pain of that suffering. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting. I think that we need to be on the lookout for those miracles and for those things, because if you look at those uh, who accomplish the will of God, we have even Mary, who we believe is born without sin and original mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. He still gave her uh, the angel. Now, it's I don't know about you, but if I have an angel standing in front of me saying, uh, highly favored one, full of grace, this is going to happen. Uh, you know, I think that would sustain me for a while. I think so. Uh, and also, I mean, you know, she had Jesus with her at every moment. Yeah. I mean, First of all, the suffering involved in that. But secondly, I was just meditating on that this morning in my rosary, thinking about 30 years. I was looking at my son. My oldest son is 17. And I was thinking, you know, he's really only halfway to 30. You know, so Jesus, when he was this age with his mother, Mary, Mm -hmm. she was watching him bloom, you know, in his human Right. Obviously not in his divinity, but in his humanness, she was watching that take place. And so surely that that involves some suffering for her, but also the bliss of it, Mm -hmm. you know, so it was sort of intertwined just like it is for us. Yeah. You know, and I I think what I would encourage, uh, encourage y'all to do today is to look for what are the places that God has given you uh, one of those mountaintops? What's a time that you really felt that you were in the presence of God? And the suffering, to endure the suffering is not just, oh, well, buck it up uh, and, and get through. We endure the suffering because we remember. We remember that God has been with us. We remember that God has called us to this. Even if we don't feel him right there at that moment, we believe that there is joy set before us, uh, whether it be through suffering right now or whether it be for those who have gone before us, the faithful departed. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Join us next week as we talk with Marlon Della Tora, author of Screwtape Teaches the Faith. Outside the Walls is a co-production of St. Michael Radio and Breadbox Media, heard around the world on terrestrial radio, live streaming, and podcast. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace.